guys, welcome to another episode of the Chairsofter Show. I'm Andy, and joining me tonight I have Arian from the Airsoft and Milsim News Blog. Good evening, uh, Arian, how are you? Hello, how are you? Not bad, buddy, yourself? I'm good, just uh, recovering from a day's work, as everyone <laughs> does. Yeah, yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? Yep. So, um, just for the guys who've not come across the blog before, just in 60 seconds, say, just briefly <laughs> describe seconds. what it is you guys do. You got the, the timer ready. <laughs> it's a rough 60 seconds. Cool, that's fine. I'll, I'll just go from my head. Um, so the S of the Milson News Blog is a news blog, funny enough, that um, is technically based in Europe. Um, we are f- five, six voluntary contributors who've ganged together and have made an award-winning website, which... We, we are always surprised when we get an award. Um, but yeah, it was it used to be a community. From that community, it started doing news. And the news became more popular than the community itself. And so it evolved. We used to be called the S of the Military News Blog. But then we had to change it because we dealt with manufacturers who were military. And then we dealt with Airsoft. And it didn't really mold together. So yeah, we... I think it was last year or the year before we changed it to Milsim instead of military. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, we just cover news, reviews, articles, events, pretty much around Europe. Um, we haven't got our foot into the States yet, but um, only time will tell. Who knows what the future can hold. As I exactly. Say. Cool. So that's just a brief introduction to what you guys do. We'll delve into that a bit more detail during cool. the course of the episode. First things first, how did you personally get involved with Airsoft? Okay, well, um, hmm. I used to be a paintballer, and that sounds like the story of every other guy who got into Airsoft. Um, I used <laughs> to paintball when I was 16, 17. Um, was a paintball marshal for a well-known company in the UK, um, Delta Force Paintball. Um, and yeah, I started... Sh- I started shooting paintball competitively for a while, injured my feet. So I had ingrown toenails when I started going to uni, which was painful. It was terrible. NHS didn't help, but that was mainly because of my condition, not because of the NHS. Fortunately, went private and fixed it. And by the time I'd fixed it, I'd got into airsoft because there was less need for me to be moving about as much. And it was cheaper, funny enough. Who'd have thought? Yeah. Um, I'd go to a paintball competition. I'd have to pay 200 quid for the paintballs, which were tournament grade. So if you believe that what you pay for at a stag do when you're going paintballing is too expensive, you, you've you not seen the price tags yet. Um, but yeah, that was so expensive. I didn't really realize how expensive it was when I, until I started playing Airsoft, which was in my second year of uni at Reading. Um, so I looked it up. I saw, oh, there's there's an airsoft club at my uni. Find out what it's all about. Um, became a part of the club. Played my first game at the mall in Reading, which has changed Ooh. quite a bit since then. Yeah, I can this bet. Was, yeah, this was 2009, so it was quite a while ago. Um, <laughs> and yeah, ever since then, I became more involved uh, 
if you've ever heard of RUAS, Reading University Airsoft Society, we start our YouTube channel then, we start getting really into our videos and yeah, we just went on from there. Um, since then, I started doing marketing for the society, I started doing marketing for myself with videos and stuff. And over time, well, this will lead on to how I got into the S of the Milsom News blog. Um, I just got into creating content and reviewing stuff. Yeah. So, so then from there on, you just developed that and kept pushing it forward. And that's effectively how you came across and became part of the S of the Milsom News blog then. So yeah, it's, all, um, it's that I, journey. I originally started my own YouTube channel as a project to see... <laughs> Oops, sorry. That's my dog. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, give me one second. I'll just let them out. It's okay. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you mention YouTube these days. Even the dogs are getting upset by it. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry about that. I'd like that's to fine. introduce you to Timmy, the Jack Russell. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> I was, the I was wife just has saying, just got just in. So. The, um, that, that's what happens when you mention YouTube these days. Is everyone <laughs> starts bark, going, bark. oh my God. <laughs> that was That's the dog's equivalent of done. oh my god YouTube <laughs> I think YouTube's recruited dogs to be able to deal with their all firearms legislation stuff anyway yeah. <laughs> we'll come so, on to that later <laughs> oh god uh, burying my head in the sand much like a dog um, anyway so I started a YouTube channel as a project um, from then on started working on my own website which was meant to cover reviews, articles, stuff like that. I was really getting into writing my own articles, getting into the whole um, literature of media and press. Um, after a while of doing this, I expanded even more. I had a website called Faltac Media, um, which basically got loads of people from uni who wanted to make content, but didn't want to be under a brand, under a organization or anything like that. So I asked them, join this, be a part of this, you have your authorship, you have everything that you put on this website being owned by you. And that kind of branched out. So we did music, games, movies, books, the whole lot. We just yeah. expanded as more authors came along. Um, that technically was a sinking ship because people would come on, they'd do an article, they'd leave, another person would come on, do an article, leave. It, was, it wasn't something that held, which, to be honest, for uni students seems quite natural. You're, you're not yeah. going to stick to something. It's not a job, you don't get paid for it. So as that became a singer ship, um, I started looking at already, um, already done websites so i looked at popular airsoft i looked at airsoft and military news blog which is what it was called back then yeah. um and i thought okay if i wanted to work for these guys voluntarily how do i get in touch with them so i got in touch with popular airsoft i got in touch with airsoft and military news i actually got in touch with um airsoft squared if you remember it from God knows how long ago ever so vaguely i i do remember it being around ever so vaguely so S of Squared was supposed to be what S of Nation is now, um, but it was meant to right. be global, and it worked for a while. Problem is, the guy who owned it was a marketing guy, and he didn't really get the concept of social media networking. He only got the concept of marketing, 
And to be honest, one of the main reasons S of Squared was so good and so popular was because it owns the Facebook page for Airsoft. It literally owns the Airsoft Facebook page, which right. I guess was a first come first serve thing. So before I even got into the Airsoft and Military News blog, I actually worked for them for a while. And by worked, I say volunteered and became an editor for them. They had a, a WordPress website, it was a blog spot. Um, and I did loads of articles for them. We had like two or three teams that I managed of people who wanted to contribute. Um, that was all good and fine. All our articles got looked up. We got thousands of views because they were posted on the SL Facebook page. But yeah. it felt a bit artificial. There was no reason for me getting these views. It was just because we had the platform. So after a while, I thought, this is good. This is all well and true. And I heard that the SLMS or Newsblog were looking for new contributors and editors. So what I did was gave them a message, not a call. <laughs> I messaged them on Facebook. I emailed them and they said, yeah, we've seen your work. We'd like you to do a test article. I reviewed a GHK G5, oh, nice. um, which they loved because it was so long. I don't think they even read it. Uh, <laughs> and um, from then on, they added me as a contributor. I contributed more and more. Over time, I became an editor. And as of last year, I became the UK manager of the blog. So technically, the only person higher than me right now in this voluntary blog is the founder, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's good you mentioned Chris. Obviously, Chris is the founder of it. How did he come to create this blog in the first place I mean I'm not sure how much of the backstory you actually know about the uh, so, conception um, of this Chris isn't the only founder um, Mike who left last year he was the main founder he was the one who started the community behind the news blog the, the community was called S of Community Europe which isn't anymore but Back in four or five years ago, it used to be a huge thing. Um, and after a while, Mike and Chris got together and started doing the news blog itself. Now, after a while, they got more contributors. They got me on board. Um, Mike decided to leave last year due to personal reasons, which is all good and fine. Chris picked it up, needed someone to help. We lost a few of our editors. We gained a few of our editors. It it was a rolling process of trying to get replacements through to keep this blog alive. And this was only a year ago. So after winning, I think three awards or so, we, we kind of semi panicked, but thankfully we've kept everything going and it's running really smoothly now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, it's, it's, I mean, I've, I've been reading through the content and for, you guys cover pretty much everything you can think of that's airsoft related. The content is unbelievably good quality, Thank I you. have to say, and it's awesome read. If the guys who are listening, if you haven't checked it out, go. You'll probably find an article about literally everything that's on the market at the moment. And well, it's I, really I don't well think we cover everything, unfortunately, <laughs> and I don't think we ever could. Um, but what we do is based on whoever we partner with at the time or are partnered with. We just go, what could our viewers, uh, no, actually not our viewers, our readers want to see? 
and sometimes we don't even get a choice we just get what's given to us and sometimes we do get a choice and we focus on those choices um, sometimes we can't even rely on our partners and we have to um, purchase our own equipment purchase our own stuff which is all fair and good in fact i could say that almost a third to a half of all our reviews are personally bought yeah. so it's not it's not that we get all of this content from sponsors and partners. It, it doesn't work that way. It, the airsoft industry is not big enough for this. So we, yeah, exactly. we pick and choose what we can. And whenever we get an opportunity, for example, got a lovely opportunity two and a half years ago where ASG were bringing out the Bren, the CZ Bren. Yes. And they said, okay, we've only sent this to SF International. We've only sent this to Popular SF. We've only sent this to SF Action. Would you guys like to be the other guys who get this brand as before the retailers do? And I thought, yeah, go ahead. Send it to us. We'll, we'll do everything about it. We'll, we'll Instagram it. We'll take pictures. We'll get our review out as soon as possible. And it's stuff like that that, uh, that you know, allows us to keep going because we think, oh, we're putting our own money into this, but we'll get stuff back from time to time. And it just makes us feel better. It makes us feel like our content's worth something, which is, which is why we keep doing it. It's a reason why, even as volunteers, we keep going at this because it's not just because people read it, but we love what we do and we enjoy writing these articles. Exactly. If you're passionate about it, it's going to make it much more enjoyable to write something down. Like with me on here, passionate about the subject of Airsoft, it makes it much easier to record for a podcast about Airsoft because you've got yeah, that passion course, behind yeah. it. You could, if, if I had no interest in Airsoft, I wouldn't be doing this weekend. It would be quite difficult. I probably and wouldn't I... even have sorted it. To be honest, I think you're doing a pretty good job at faking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is Airsoft again? <laughs> uh... But, uh, yeah. Um, so, how many of you are there roughly on the team now? Uh, right now, this very moment, there's six of us. No, there's more. Six of you. There's technically more. Uh, I'd say between six and eight of us. It really depends how active some of the members are. Yeah. All right, cool. So you, you guys have obviously all met through the social media then, obviously, getting in touch, messaging the guys, getting yes, involved. That's, that's actually our main form of communication. You think that we talk to each other a lot. We do, um, but we don't literally talk to each other. We we have to go through... Uh, we, used, we use Slack, we use Facebook, we use Skype. We're now using Discord, funny enough. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's been interesting. It's, it's, it's an interesting development how we've gone from one platform to another just to keep things going. And to be honest, it's, it's been a nice experience because we get opinions, even though we review airsoft products and we review um, gear and we review technology, we also got a chance to experience how to manage such an entity, how to be a part of a group of people who need to organize themselves and deal with a blog that needs, it needs that management, it needs that structure, otherwise it just falls apart. And being able to use 
the, the software, being able to use these different forms of communication really does give you more of a background in what's best for a solution such as managing a news blog. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, um, and some people might, will be sat here thinking, oh, this is easy, what's he going on about? They like, don't realise <laughs> really just isn't. what is involved. <laughs> it yeah. really isn't. It really isn't as easy as you make out. You know, anything that you're doing producing content... I, I, easy... These people who think it's easy, have a go yourself and you can see what we're on about here. The funny thing is, the easiest bit is coming up with ideas. The hardest bit is pressing that bloody publish button. Because yeah. once you've published it, that's it. You could edit it slightly. You can try and get away with a few spelling mistakes. But the second you hit that publish, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's a podcast, whether it's an article, even if you're posting on Facebook or Instagram, the second that's out, that's it. Yeah, it's there for eternity. Yeah, uh, pretty much quoting Jonathan from Softology, it's pretty much out there, and yeah. there is little you can do about it. And that's that's kind of a good thing, but also has its implications. It's like releasing a book or releasing a movie. You could kind of get that criticism. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, that that's something that's quite interesting. And I feel like that kind of separates professional blogs and amateur blogs with how they try to deal with their content, how they aftercare their content as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's making sure that you'd be happy reading or listening to or watching the content before you push that publish button. Yeah, we could just course. sit here and talk absolute drivel for an hour and release it as a Airsoft podcast and people go, what the fucking hell is yeah, this? Yeah, pretty much. Um, in fact, that's one of the biggest issues with YouTube over the past four or five years is that it saturated so much and there was no form of moderation back then. Technically, there still isn't. It's all based on analytics and algorithms on who's going to get the most views and stuff like that it's it's pretty automated which kind of presents an issue yeah 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 it's a youtube's a big issue at the moment um, oh yeah yeah and that's outside of how content is distributed and shared on the main page yeah, and stuff exactly it is actually a topic i've got written down on the list to come on to in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> Cool, I am not looking forward to it. <laughs> well, it's going to lead nicely into the next episode where we've actually got a YouTuber coming on the show, so more about that later as well. Perfect. But it, it works in quite nicely. Um, so, you're obviously the Airsoft and Milsim News blog. Now, one of the questions that I got handed to me over the week was, do you guys just focus purely on the Milsim events, or do you try and cover every aspect of airsoft so your skirmishing your speed softers and all that as well um that's that's a good question because it really depends on the contributors for example i'm personally more of a competition shooter i'm going to the first action air hong kong world shoot in june in the end of june which is very scary considering hong kong has some of the best action air pistol shooters in the world just watch a video, watch Team Blazers, watch... Oh, I can't remember the alpha, guys. But, yeah, just find an IPSC Action Air Hong Kong team and watch the videos, and your jaw will either drop or you'll start trembling at how good they are. 
Um, yeah, some of them but, are unbelievable. The exactly. speed at which they can do this thing. It's like it's like watching Keanu Reeves with the John Wick training videos. They're faster than Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it's like, you <laughs> it's, can it's watch mental. as many... You... Sorry, you were saying? So I was just saying, it's mental. You don't get any idea of how quick these guys are until you just watch the videos and you just sit back and go, yeah, yep. that's never going to be me. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the interesting thing is, if you... And these are all related disciplines if you compare ipsc ud uh, not ud idpa and uspsa even three gun they are actually much slower disciplines than action air and that's because the gun's going to slow you down the recoil's going to slow you down the safety implications will slow you down there are a lot of elements in the real steel side of things that will slow down someone from yeah. shooting the quickest action air doesn't have any of that it has all the safety precautions. It has all the disciplines that it needs. It has everything in place other than the fact that you're shooting an airsoft pistol. And that yeah. actually makes you shoot faster because you don't have the recoil. You don't have the safety implications literally in your face. And it, it just shows because you watch someone shoot a Hong Kong action IPSC match and you compare it to Taran Tactical or even Robert Vogel shooting an IDPA match. And... They're fast, but the Hong Kong guys are faster. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, you can put distance in there. You can start talking about other things. But in the end, okay, fine. If you hand one of the Hong Kong guys a real steel pistol and let him shoot, he, he will get slower. It's, it's inevitable. But the fact that the discipline's much faster makes you think it's it's different game. It's it's completely different. And I'm, I am and I'm not looking forward to shooting at Hong Kong because I do not know what to expect. <laughs> but yes, yeah, sorry, I, I trailed from there. Um, in regards to that original question, so there's me who's got a competition shooting background. We've got another guy who's in private security. We've got um, airsofters, of course. We've got um, hiking experts, which would include my wife. Um, and we've got, for example, Chris, who he doesn't just do Milsim. He does a lot of tactical training stuff. He, he takes part in, if you've ever heard of Project Gecko, um, they yes. do a lot of training. They do a lot of uh, first aid stuff. Basically, anything you want to cover in military situations, they cover. Um, but stuff like that. We don't cover many local sides of things, which is what we're going to change. I'm starting to cover more infiltration airsoft stuff. I'm starting to cover more... Um, I will start cover Sterling Airsoft stuff. I will do more of the back-end mill sims, the film sims, and stuff like that. And we'll start covering that overall around Europe. But it's something that we haven't really done as much because we don't know... Well, we do know, but it's more of an idea of what seems most important. What is everyone else not covering is what goes in our heads. Because yeah. we could try and cover everything that everyone else is doing, like uh, Falcons HPA guns or Polar Stars or um, basically anything that's like the new KW Chris Vector. We haven't touched it. We haven't bothered to because we know everyone else has covered it. If it does get into our hands, we'll, we'll do a review because we believe that a written review from us will be just as good as a a watched one or an audio one or one with just pictures. We believe in our um, our content being not premium. That seems a bit big-headed. But knowing that our content is worth something 
we will make that content. But in the end, it's all yeah, about exactly. what we can cover that we know no one else has covered because that's what makes the content unique and more interesting. Yeah, that's it's, it's definitely the, the way you need to look at things because, I mean, like you said, you, you could do a review of every site around the UK. It would have already been done by at least Airsoft Action, for example. So someone else will have covered it. You want to try and keep that unique because it, it's your unique selling point as well. It's, it's something different that you've reviewed and people can go, oh, hang on, I want to, I'm interested in that now rather than what everyone else is getting on the field, if that makes sense. Yeah, but then you can't go too far out of the box because no one will want to read it. Exactly. It's, it's that fine balance you've got to think of and find. And um, I know exactly what you mean sitting here from this side of it. I'm going, right, you think, right, what's going to work, what's not going to work, and trying to balance it all that way as well. It, it's tough. It's a tough balancing act. Yeah, it is. Um, so looking to move into more in the uh in the coming months so what events are you guys looking at attending over the next year or so other than the shows to help with this content and um, get an idea well, of what's going on i'm primarily focused on quite a few reviews that we've got pending um personally the only event other than hong kong in the end of june is the northern shooting show for me so in, on the 6th of May, I think, I need to double check. Beginning of May, there's going to be the Northern Shooting Show all the way up north, which will be a fun drive. And because I covered the British Shooting Show earlier, it, there was a few interesting things. A lot of it was hunting, clay pigeon shooting. Um, a lot of it was tweed industry, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly um, what you mean. But that's not something to ignore. I would never ignore that industry because it relates to firearms, which then relates to Milson, which then can relate to Airsoft. So there's no reason why you should cut that part of the industry out because it's kind of like uh, laws and legislations. If it affects one, it's going to affect all of us. And the same goes for media and press. If it affects one, it could affect all of us. For example, optics, for example... In fact, one thing that was huge at the British Shooting Show, which I think a lot of Airsoft has missed out on, was the amount of optic manufacturers out there who had reasonably priced optics. And I'm not talking about Vortex. I'm talking Hawk. I'm talking... Oh, okay. Now I'm on the spot. Sightmark. Um, and there was another company which... Oh, I can't remember. I'll have to go through all my pictures. Um, but there are companies out there that are national... And they make optics that can be not better than who we know off the end of our tongues, but just as good, if not a cheaper alternative for airsofters. And I guess that's one thing that British Shooting Show didn't really demonstrate as much, because obviously you've got Edgar Brothers, you've got a lot of ammunition companies, you've got uh, Regatta Outdoors and stuff like that. They all have their place at the British Shooting Show, and they'll most definitely be at the Northern Shooting Show. The nice thing I hope from the Northern Shooting Show is the fact that we're going to have more airsoft. We're going to, funny enough, for my personal interest, we're going to have a three-gun um, showcase there, uh, thanks to Halo Mill, and we'll have a lot of other stuff which will come up. And I'm, although I looked forward to the British Shooting Show because technically I think the British Shooting Show was slightly more professional in the fact that it had these big companies there. I think the Northern Shooting Show would be more interesting because of the smaller companies that'll be there. 
And I think that's what the British Shooting Show has an issue with. You have all these big, huge companies overshadowing smaller companies that are trying to be just as interesting, just as effective. Um, but yeah, other than other than that, I think I we have Chris and Paul who are going to Border War, uh, yep. which is the huge meal sim in Europe. And I think we will be thinking of covering some more events at the end of July as well. But what we're doing at the moment is just dealing with the first three months as they come by, really. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a long three months, especially as you have shot and Ewa so close together. You've, you've got a lot of stuff coming out of these shows to cover in such a short space of time. So. Yeah, and in the end, sometimes you just have to pick and choose. For example, we have never done SHOT Show. We've covered yeah. it, as in externally, as a third party. We've covered yeah. SHOT Show marketing articles and stuff that come out, and we forward them through. Um, maybe next year. Maybe I'll get dragged by the collar and go to SHOT Show. Um <laughs> It's expensive. Wherever you go, it's expensive. So it's because we're voluntary, it's all about putting your neck out there and trying to get something back out of it. Yeah, to be fair. I mean, you, you say it's expensive. It wasn't... It, it, depending on how you do it, is I went this year um, and we managed to get it relatively cheap. We, we, we paid £400 for flights, 250 for the hotel... But then it depends what you want to go for at the end of the day. If, yeah, if you're looking for the cheap and cheerful, it can be done. But a lot of people are like, oh, it's Vegas, screw it, I'm going to stay at Caesars or the Bellagio or the Venetian or whatever. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it, but I mean, um, it's a good show, don't get me wrong. But obviously it's America, there's a lot more focus on the real still. And I found that Ewa was better for the airsoft side of things much much better it's a lot bigger industry over here clearly than it is over there for going to these shows yeah i my opinion's going to be completely swayed towards iwa outdoor classics because i haven't been to shot show but considering the amount of professionalism and well based on the videos i've seen for shot show compared to iwa i feel like iwa is much more organized and has more of a more of a broad coverage um but that is pretty much an opinion based on the fact that i've never been to shot show so i cannot really give that first-hand perspective of what shot show can provide but i can only assume that it's more as you said american orientated so a lot more american companies will be there and a lot less european companies will be there with iwa i feel that it could be more centered because you get people from the states come in, you get people in Europe who are centralized coming in, and you get people from the Far East coming in as well. So you kind of get that yeah. balance. Yeah, you had, I mean, just off the top of my head, you had Red Wolf there, you had LCT there. And okay, yeah, Red Wolf and ASG and some of the bigger names were at shot. But it was nice to see some of these smaller companies as well that were at. Ewa that was it was ideal. It gave you much more broader spectrum on the market. Yeah, and um, it was it was. I mean, a lot of these guys probably won't ever get the chance to go and see what it's about, unfortunately. But these shows are manic. 
Uh, they don't yeah. realise just how much um, walking there is. And you're going around trying to find stuff. Oh, can I report on that? Can I report on this? Oh, wait, hang on. To use the example, the Red Wolf M2 that they had. I'm sat there going, I'd love that thing. Then Mark's like, yeah, if you've got six grand. <laughs> okay, I don't think I'll dwell on that one too much when I report it, because a lot of people aren't going to be buying that. Well, yeah, you were speaking about being able to cover everything. Um, I guess you experienced the the issue with IWA, at least, where you try to cover everything. Everything's housed in, well, I say three holes. Everything airsoft-related was housed in three holes. But as you know, there is so much there compressed that you're going to miss something. And I'm sure you did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was a lot of stuff we I didn't get to report on personally. Um, Graham and Matt, who I was with, got to cover some of those stands while I was off doing different stands to them kind of thing. But, I mean, we, we had our main focuses based on what, not just what we wanted to report on, but what we wanted to look at as well. Like, for example, Silverback, I wanted to go and chat to those guys and see that because I'd not come across them and I've obviously been working with Skirm Shop in the background a little bit and trying to help those guys out as well so they're going to be come and look at this silverback and I've got to say it was worth the visit for me I'm yeah. looking forward to that AEG they're working on the MDR yes I, c- I can never remember I get that and the HTI confused as well oh it's well yeah, the yeah. HTI is the 50 cal but I tend to get it mixed up but yeah it's it's content like that that can be difficult and you get to a point where you have to pick and choose. Um, with us, it was more of a case of who do we want to cover this year? Who do we really want to push as yeah. a future partner, a future sponsor, stuff like that? But also, it kind of it kind of alienates other companies that we do want to be involved with. Um, Rare Arms, Modify, um, Armor Works. Unfortunately, we're right next to Red Wolf, and they were completely over. Basically, that was the mini version of the issue at the British Shooting Show. You have a big company with a huge stall, a huge booth, and you've got another company which, respectably, is good. Their products are really good, but they're yeah. right next to a big company where they're being completely shadowed. Yeah, because I, 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 it's interesting you say that. I, I was meaning to go over to. Armour Works on a Saturday and obviously as you said you just get overwhelmed with everything that Red Wolf's got to offer Yeah, especially when Mark, Tim and Herman are just doing their utmost to show you absolutely everything they physically can Yeah, talk about it as long as possible so I mean yeah they have some really good stuff coming out and it's really interesting but I wish I'd gone and spent more time looking around the Armour Works because having used one of their pistols they're awesome bits of kit, they really are nice and yeah, um, they've, I was they've getting done some a pretty really... good job with their pistols, and they're doing a pretty good job with their their PDW GBBs and other stuff that's coming out. Yeah. Um, the it, it's just the case of placement, advertising, marketing, and the amount of money you spend. Yeah, exactly. As well, that's the, at the end of the day, you can tell the the bigger companies that were there because of the. They, they go all out with the stands kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, they do. You saw the Umarex booth. It was yeah. pretty much half an entire hall. Well, it's when, it's when you've also got a booth that big that you've got a tattoo artist there as well. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> as, as not a, a surprise, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think the year before that, CZ had some showcase live presentations. And before that, I think 
Sigsaw were doing huge presentations um, with the new modular handguns. So it's it's one of those things where the more money you pull into it, the more notice you get. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all about the money at the end of the day. It's all about that backing. True. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what what are the plans for the future for AMNB? So, uh, funny enough, even though YouTube has got this new ruling on firearms, we're trying to relaunch our YouTube channel. Um, previously, we were very much, we only put YouTube clips up for IWA exclusives. This reigned back all the way down to 2014. Um, we are trying to redo everything so we can start doing more personal videos, more upbeat something that allows us to feel more human in front of our readers and potentially our viewers when youtube lets us see our viewers um the the issue we've had over the past four years is that we don't really have personalities behind the blog we are very much i wouldn't say corporate but the blog itself is an entity which people know and understand, but they don't know the people behind it. And we feel like that alienates our readers. It makes them feel like there's no point commenting on our Facebook posts. It feel like there's no point trying to start a conversation with us because they think there's a wall there that doesn't exist. And what we're trying to do is, especially with YouTube, is put our faces in front of our readers and viewers, yeah. try and get ourselves known. It's it's not a popularity contest. It's not trying to get our individualities out and try and be famous or anything, but it's, it's a way for us to go, hey, I wrote that review that you like. Maybe you want to know more about it. Or, you know, we've covered these companies. Maybe you'd like to talk more about it. Maybe there's something that we can cover that you want. Problem is we don't get that. We don't, really know exactly what our individual readers want we can only tell from analytics what our readers want and we want to change that so the idea of re-releasing our youtube channel the idea of starting to do more videos where you get to know us on a personal level will hopefully remove that alienation it allows us to get more discussions going with our viewers and readers start to get to know this community that follows us and reads our articles I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said the point about that because that was the exact thinking behind my releasing an interview of myself in last week's episode. Um, it was simply because I'm I'm thinking I sit here asking these people questions week in week out, and people tend not to engage. And like you said, there's that potential that they think feel that there's that wall that they can't break down. So by releasing an interview with myself, I thought let's break this wall down. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, we can try and progress it that way. Yeah. But I'm glad you brought up the YouTube, because now seems like the perfect time to go on to it. <laughs> oh, no, the dreaded question. Um, <laughs> you mentioned about the uh, legislation as such that's coming yeah. in regarding firearms. Now, having spoken to people, it seems that the impression at the moment is Airsoft is going to remain fairly untouched for the immediate future but do you think the time's coming to an end for airsoft on all social media and it's time to start promoting 
say Airsoft Nation a lot more. You know, I'm very involved with Airsoft Nation and supporting Graham in any way I can. So shameless plug there as well. <laughs> but is everything going to go over to that now? Do you reckon? Is it going to have to? Because well, Facebook already started it. This is this is kind of like the elections between Donald Trump and it's it's just there are two sides to this. Yes we are all doomed and no this is just a step in the door that we can close um it's difficult to say what will happen because it's going to be based on future events now obviously it seems like youtube has done this based on the media and their presentation of the recent shootings in america now there technically has been little change in statistics in regards to shootings it's just the fact that the media has become more pronounced in those areas and obviously we've got companies like youtube and instagram they're starting to hone down they're trying to keep their audience from going why aren't you doing something about it um and i feel like this will either be a phase where it gets the the rules will still be there so the rule is that anything regarding a firearm sale so a product related to firearms being presented in form of sale or the modification of firearms for the purpose of you know modifying a firearm in any way or form which includes technically loading magazines is now being legislated as a offense in youtube's series of things you should not cross when you upload a video such as nudity stuff like that um i feel like it really depends on how the tide goes it could it could lessen, it could become something that isn't a problem anymore, it will slowly die down, or it could get worse. The tide will come up and it will start washing away these YouTube channels. And obviously you've got uh, some of them going to Pornhub, you've got some of them going to Full 30. Yeah, um, it did make me laugh them... when it came up on the uh, yeah. Facebook feed last it was on, week. It was on BBC News. Their... It, it's, was it? it's I, on I, BBC I, News. I didn't see that on BBC News. The fact that they released a gun review on the Pornhub, I was just like, well, that's actually a genius way of getting around it. <laughs> what, getting around <laughs> having Pornhub in your internet history? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just looking for the gun reviews, honest. <laughs> of course, of course, yes. Uh, <laughs> That was just side viewing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I feel feel it really depends how it goes. These companies, they are are swayed into doing motions and actions based on what they think is best for their revenues. For YouTube, it is all about keeping that, that viewership going. They don't really what percentage do you think the firearms industry is to YouTube? It's tiny. And so to keep the rest of those categories of viewerships happy, they obviously put in these, these rules and obviously it's causing an issue because some YouTube channels are being shut down. Others are still there and you're wondering how lax are these rulings? Um, It's definitely one to keep an eye on. It's definitely something to keep active and, not fight, but argue, discuss. Um, there's no, I feel like there's no need to cause or create a direct action over this, but obviously it's a concern that needs to be monitored because obviously it could lessen in state or it could rise in state. And we just need to watch where that's going. Kind of like the stock market. There will be 
a point where you have to act upon it. And I don't think, okay, to some that point is now. For us, it really depends on how far up or down you think this elevated state of anti-firearms, anti-gun is going to get. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, you've had a lot of high-profile shootings uh, in America, definitely. Also, you think about it, you had one in France over the weekend that was all over the news, etc., etc. Yeah. And while they're at the forefront of everyone's mind, people are going to go after the guns, no matter whether it's a toy like ours, because let's face it, they are toys, uh, potentially paintball markers, because some of them are starting to look like real guns now as well, I'm finding. Yeah, Magfed paintball markers, which technically is an entire class in its own when it comes to paintballing. Yeah, the, the more people are seeing that, they're going to go, oh, that looks like a real one, we're going to go after them as well, even though... They don't. It's possibly a lack of education. So maybe the more we talk about these things and the more we get the knowledge out there, like I speak to the guys at work, and there's a few of us that play at work, and we speak to the guys and we tell them what it's about, so they at least have an understanding. If people start mentioning it as such, and then the more we can discuss it, maybe education is what's needed. I think I think you're right, but I don't think that's the whole problem. Um, there is also uh, miseducation, if you want to call it that, where yeah. someone gives the wrong perspective of what airsoft is, what firearms are, stuff like that. Yeah. I get, um, I get my aunt, my youngest aunt, she lives in Washington, D.C. Um, I wouldn't say she's anti-gun, but when she looks at my post, when she sees that I have my race pistol on Facebook or stuff like that, she, she asked me, is this your thing now? Is it guns? Um, because in America, it's a huge thing. In the UK, it's not so huge for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, in a way it is. It's a hobby. It's a sport. It's something that gives me... I'm good at it, and I enjoy it. It has an adrenaline rush. And obviously, I'm not going to say, oh, I love shooting people. I'm not going to say I... Because that's not no, the yeah. point of it. Exactly, it's, yeah. It's not what we're here for. And that's that's the miseducation that we're trying to yeah. trying to defeat. Um, because you do have airsofters who, who do enjoy shooting each other. But there's excitement in doing that. But more of the excitement is dressing up, is holding a replica imitation firearm, is role-playing it's there's a lot more to it than actually shooting someone yes you get the excitement that you hit one of your friends and he's hit and he's like "Ah, i'm better than him i'm still alive but in the end you you've got to realize that the most positive form of airsofting as a hobby is the fact that it's a community of people dressing up in a way cosplaying and role-playing situations military situations yeah exactly Um, and that's what we need to portray, not the fact that we shoot each other. Not the yeah. fact that, oh, I've got a higher rate of fire or I've got a higher FPS or anything like that. The only reason those two things are there is because you want people to take their hits. That's really it. If everyone took their hits, I'm sure there wouldn't be an issue with higher rate of fires or higher FPS. And yeah. that's just how the community's evolved over time. There's that toxicity. There's also that positivity. And you kind of have to... You have to... Not hide the toxicity, but lessen it. Give it, give it that trait of it being a minor factor in the hobby. Yeah, exactly. 
That's, that's, that's all it is at the end of the day, is, is giving the good impression rather than the bad. Yeah, of course. But you don't want to hide the bad because it no, gives exactly. that false sense of artificial um, representation. There has exactly, to be some yeah. bad. It just doesn't make sense. It's like paintballing. Oh, it's great. You, you shoot each other. Paint goes on each other. It doesn't hurt. Well, it does hurt, but it doesn't cause harm, stuff like that. It's good exercise. But obviously, there's the bad bit as well. So it... Yeah. It has to equal out. There has to be an equilibrium. But obviously, you want to portray the good side because no matter what the hobby is, no matter what the industry, no matter what the category or the motion of talk, the bad side is always going to be more pronounced. It's just the way it is. And you have to fight for the positivity. And that's what we need to do in the Airsoft community. We need to show the more positive light of Airsofting in general. And exactly. not hide the S of cheating, the high rate of fire, the incidents, the accidents, but, you know, give a light into it that shows that that's there, but it's 10%. That's 10%. Yeah, exactly. You're it's, unlikely it's the to minority see rather than yeah. the majority. But the 90% uh, here when... is what you don't see on YouTube, funny enough. Yeah, and exactly. I think that's an issue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's obviously something I'm going to be discussing with next week's guest in great detail as well. But it's always good to get people's opinions because this social media crackdown is going to affect all of us in one way or another. So the more we can discuss it, we can hopefully get that good education out there and get rid of the miseducation as you described it. Yeah, so I made up that word. Try and Please promote airsoft and keep it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so thanks to Graham Hoffman and Carlo Capalonga for those questions and helping me refine those. Um, just before we wrap up, I've had a few questions sent in from people over Instagram okay. today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name their Instagram names as we go as well. So the first one was from one of the guys from the TDO team, a guy called, whose call sign is Pig. Cool. Um he, he's put uh, Gen 3 nods are they really worth the money if not <laughs> what recommendations could you make uh, you're, you're asking the wrong guy uh, <laughs> Chris would be the guy to ask um, but based on third party experience um, Gen 1 Gen 2 and Gen 2 Plus they are commercial grade night vision they are pretty much what you expect for someone to use for general use for security for hunting stuff like that you will end up using quite a lot of infrared light you'll end up using red lights for example one thing that's huge with hunting that i've noticed is the use of red light uh, because it doesn't disturb the environment it doesn't disturb the animals as much and stuff like that when you get to gen 3 if you really want to experience you know a military scenario where you're using the right tubes and stuff like that you you can go through gen 1 you can go through gen 2 gen 2 plus but from popular understanding of what i've been told and the reviews that we've done for act in black for example with their pvs's gen 3 is the way to go now obviously it's more expensive and if you want a cheaper option you might want to look into infrared stuff um yeah. because even though, in a way, infrared is much better because you can use it in daytime, there is actually a cheaper bracket there. There, there are a few cheaper options where you don't have to mount it on your head. You can mount it on your rifle or you can have it handheld. Um, so 
Yeah, I guess the answer to that is yes, Gen 3 is the one to go for, but that's based on experiences external to me. And from my understanding, if you need something cheaper, but you don't want to go for Gen 1, Gen 2, or Gen 2 Plus, go for IR-related products, because you may find that you can compete with Gen 3s at a lower price band with infrared, with um, thermal. Cool. Okay. Um, So thanks to Pig again for that. Next one comes from Aki. Um, Aki UK uh, he's put do you feel that UK Milsim companies will get to the same level of event as the US counterparts I'm assuming they're talking about Milsim West and stuff like yeah, that yeah you're looking at sort of your third coast airsoft and the uh, American Milsim companies that you are the more popularly known ones think... where they get like hospitals and stuff <laughs> um, I don't know it really depends think of it this way it could be a matter of perspective where there's more YouTube coverage and articles and stuff like that for the US, the States, and there isn't as much in the UK, which means that there might be events that are better and bigger in the UK that we just don't know about. Um, That's one thing that we're going to try and tackle as the news blog in the near future. But it also could be because there's there's more opportunity in land in the States. And I guess... Because of that, if and when we do have Milsim events that are as big or as popular, it's going to be a bigger achievement for us because we live on an island. We, yeah. we don't have as much space. We don't have as much resources. And Milsim in the States is technically much bigger than it is in the UK. And I guess that's because of the community there, the amount of land that's available to expose to usage and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd I'd agree with you on that. But I mean, you're saying about the um, they go mad for the bigger sites, the sort of more unique events in the UK. Look how mad everyone went when they found out AI 500 last year was going to be in a theme park. Yeah, an old theme park. Yeah. So it is. It it could just be the hype around where the events are. Maybe I think it's a matter of perspective. Um, yeah, I think we do have events that compete in a level with Milson West, for example, or American Milson and stuff yeah. like that. It's just a matter of, you know, what coverage is available for us to see. Because obviously we don't have first hand experience of Milson West. If anyone does, then they can have a a better hand in it. But from my perspective, from my understanding, from my experience, it could be just a matter of perspective. And just because it could be perspective based there could be the fact that AI 500 is actually bigger or better or it's all opinionated in the end. But yeah, yeah. I think the UK may or will already have events that compete with the events that happen in the States. I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out there by the way, just to prevent all the haters getting on board. I was just using AI500 as an example of a site that was unique. It wasn't saying it was a Milsim because it is a big skirmish at the end of the day. That's the only way you can look at it. But it was just the uniqueness of that site. So before all the haters go on saying, you said AI500 was a Milsim, it's not. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Keeping on the Milsim theme, one that's coming from Callsign Beast. Um, HPA in Milsim, there's been... Apparently, there's been some issues in the past, potentially, where 
companies have said about HPA with the hoses and the bottles, and players have felt that their immersion levels are ruined by people having these hoses and bottles. Um, I think. What's your opinion on HPA in Milsim? Um, well, it's it's an interesting idea to have. Well, if you remember Tokyo Marie Man and his first ever AG, the innovation of a lifetime, um, from God knows when, 1980s, 1990s, I can't remember. But back then, HPA was one of the only ways to play airsoft, um, unless you had a pump or something. It was, it was very non-electric back then. The fact that we're going... People say we're going backwards. We're not. It's just a new innovation where high-powered air is becoming more efficient, more consistent, and so on and so forth. Valken have stock tube, ga uh, not gas, um, no, technically air tanks, um, in their stock tubes, stuff like that, removes the hose. Uh, Tipman had CO2 mags and stuff like that. And you got um, Polestar as well with their well, um, yeah. gas tubes in the stocks. Exactly. So it's really a matter of perspective. Yes, yeah. Milsim is all about... Is it? Is it all about the realism of what you actually have on hand? Maybe. If that was the case, everyone would be running GBBRs. It's as simple as yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. But we're not. And... Just because we have AGs, okay, we are putting real caps in there, maybe just mid caps, high caps are one of those things that Milsims really not despise, but they try to avoid. Um, HPA is, I keep using the word perspective, but it really is. People generally view HPA as a speed softer thing. It yeah. isn't. It really isn't. It's just what you see. And you see a lot of people with 50 RPS, 30 RPS. 30 RPS is something that a Tokyo Marie high cycle can achieve. Not that it needs yeah. to, but it can. And it's the idea of, well, HPA is not just Polistars and um, stuff like that. You can have a Tipman that runs a hose, and that's HPA. You can yeah. have a Daytona, a Daytona gun, which is quite uncommon here in the UK, but it's very common in the States. Yeah. And to be honest, of all the replicas that you can get, if you have a Daytona gun and you're doing milsims, how annoyed would you be if they decide to say, nope, HPA is not allowed. It's like, I've got the most realistic replica here. The only thing that makes it unrealistic is the tank I've got on my back. It shoots yeah. like a real gun. It feels like a real gun. It's, I think it's a matter of perspective. Now, if a company decides, okay, we're a Milsim events company and we want to stop HPA from being involved in our events. Fair enough. You decide to do that. You do it on your prerogative. You have a clientele that do not like HPA. That is your decision as a company to try and deal with the happiness of those customers. Now, having said that, it's... It's not the best idea, I think, to just rule out HPA. I guess you can have some form of um, leniency where there is realism involved. The HPA is only being used for efficiency. It's not being used to, you know, unrealistically ramp up a replica to shoot far, not fast, sorry, but fast. Um, so it's, it's more of an idea of why do you not like HPA? Why do you want to refuse a player from using an HPA gun? 
and that's what they really need to think about not HPA overall because that's sorry sorry I was saying it kind of goes back to what you said said about the YouTube it's that negative connotation that's been shown through videos and they're like these people who go up and full auto people with 50 RPS non-stop as Graham posted several times it's like on the SF Nation page if you tell an entire group of Tipman M4 users that they can't use their HPA guns in skirmishes. They'd be like, why? What have I done? Yeah, exactly. Uh, because they can't actually ramp up their guns to shoot more than 30 uh, rounds per second. It's, yeah. it's just not part of the system. Um, they can't do certain things that people hate about HPA. And it's, <laughs> they are part of that category. The same goes for Daytona. The same goes for people who tap their mags. It's, yeah. it's all about... The reason, the factor that makes Milsim event organizers or even players dislike HPA. And I I think it's it's because of small factors that involve HPA that people don't like. And I think th- some of these factors are shared with AEGs as well, funny enough. Yeah. You do have ages with dual sector gears, high speed motors, um, short stroking, stuff like that. They can reach the amount of rounds per second as an HPA gun would. They're harder to do, but they still can. And they're not frowned upon as easily because it's a broader range of a category of guns, of replicas. And you have to factor that in when you decide whether HPA is something you want to have in your events or not. You have to think about why, where in that category is HPA a negative factor. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and I think as as you as as we sort of touched on, it's not the system that's flawed. It's some of the people that have used it have given it such it's, a bad reputation. Now. And it technically might not be even the user; it's the usage. The user may be yeah, completely well, yeah, how they're using it, yeah. by why they're being frowned upon because they don't they don't see the opposing opinion, and maybe that's something that needs to be addressed that one user thinks oh they just think they just don't like hpa because i have one that's not right that most probably isn't if you handed a free hpa rig with a gun to someone they're not going to say oh i don't want it maybe they will say oh i don't want it but to the average user they most probably will say yeah i'll try it out oh i like it why do people hate it i don't know maybe it's because of the high rate of fire maybe it's because it hurts more because someone's decided to ramp up the um, FPS. It yeah. could be anything, really. Exactly. Yeah. So, last couple of questions. Anyway, um, one from One Legion UK Patriot. Um, when booking Milsim events with regards to kit, fire team limitations, etc., should you be allowed to carry what you want, or do you feel that there should be limitations in certain roles? For example, your snipers, your support gunners, the more limited roles. To keep in mind with the sort of Milsim mindset, keeping in line with what the military do? Well, considering Milsim event organisers know exactly... Well, they don't. They they have to run the event to find out what's best. But considering the Milsim organisers are the ones who technically know more about how the event's going to run than you do, it's worth considering that factor when it comes to, ooh, I've got a 600-round limit, I've got this limit, I've got that. If... You as a player decide I don't like this. I don't I don't 
want to be part of it. Maybe not that Milsim's not right for you, but maybe there's a reason you don't understand why that's in place. And maybe that's because all the other players are going by those rules and it's worked before in previous events. They're not just going to make up rules and go, yeah, that'll work. They've obviously run multiple events and realized, yep, we'll have that limit for ammo because it's worked previously. We'll have that limit for snipers because obviously we've had an issue where there's just been standoffs and we don't understand why no one's uh, no one's engaging, no one's getting into the fight, stuff like that. These rules are there based on experience and I think it's the lack of trust in that experience that players go, oh, I don't want to follow this, I don't understand it, in my regular skirmish I could carry as much as I like. Yeah. And, and leading on to that, you do get players who have a bad experience. Um, you need to realize yeah. that not everyone gets catered the same experience. You're all going to be in a different place. You can't step into each other's shoes. It's almost impossible. Um, you're going to have a bad time out of, I'm, I'm sure, a quarter of Milsim events are going to be not as good as you expected. Maybe three quarters if you're really unlucky. It's, that, that is part of what makes a real-life simulation a simulation. You're not going to experience what you want. You're going to experience what's on hand. And I think that's where Milsim kind of branches out from skirmishes, where in a skirmish, you can try and do everything that everyone else is doing. You can, you have that untethered ability to just play the game. In Milsim, the only way it can be fun is if it's organized. An organization requires substitution, requires... Yeah. taking your place it requires role-playing the part you're given and if you don't like that kind of stuff it is going to be quite difficult to enjoy every milson game you have it's just part of it yeah exactly exactly keeping on the milson theme uh the last question i've got for you tonight comes in from grato uh it might actually be one that you could pose to one of the milson boys as an article maybe okay um but he's asked for your recommendations for a kit list for a standard Milsim weekend. Okay. Um, I think we already have an article out there. Um, I may have to dig it out. Yeah, if, if, if we can find it afterwards, I'll uh, forward yeah, that course. on as well. Um, I think if you search on our website Impression Kit or Marsoc, I think we actually have a kit list um that chris made two or three years ago i think we obviously need to update that that's that's old um but yeah i guess if i were to give that kit list now it really depends on the event now if you decide to be completely prepared for everything i would layer myself with waterproofs um that are light that i can compact i'd have a two-day or three-day backpack maybe a 45 liter if you really were um, a capable person, maybe a 70 liter backpack, um, I wouldn't carry more than two replicas and that would include a pistol if needed. But obviously I'd have something back at an FOB just in case something failed. Um, Food wise, anything dry that doesn't get affected by the weather. So nothing that can melt, nothing that can go bad basically dry fruit would be perfect and obviously hydration 
and I would not recommend fizzy drinks. I would not recommend anything hot, anything that you're happy to drink regardless of the temperature, like water. Exactly. Would yeah. work perfectly. Um, and to be honest, people, I've I've seen people under um, underappreciate the amount of water they need. Um, underfeed themselves and basically get grumpy. <laughs> it becomes an episode of a Snickers ad. Um, yeah, yeah. Because they don't realize that they need that food. They may not be doing much. They may just be sitting down in a in a trench somewhere or at the FOB. You're going to want to replenish yourself every once now and again. And you're not going to get your breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, you may at some film sims, but generally speaking, if you're doing a mill sim and it's realistic, you may realize that you're not going to get a potty break. You're not going to get time to sit down on when you want to. Um, there will be some physical fitness requirements, and it doesn't mean that if you're not fit, you're not going to be able to do a millsim. It just means that you need to recognize that you will most probably end up moving more than you expect to. Same goes for everything else. Um, in the end, it's all about making sure you've packed light, but in... Not in moderation. You can overpack, but you need to understand that you need to prepare for the worst when you do a milsim. You have to prepare for your gun to break. You have to prepare for your clothes to get wet and you have to wear new ones. You have to prepare for all the things that you know may happen. And because yeah. of that, you can ensure that regardless of your experience, you're prepared. And that's one thing that I find that a lot of more experienced milsimers actually come to understand the second nature they they overpack sometimes they pack two kits instead of just one and when they get there they decide which kit they're going to use depending on the weather sometimes they swap yeah. if it's a 48 hour milsim and the first day is warm and the second day is wet they might decide i'm going to completely change my kit straight away not not kit is in my camouflage pan and everything else but i might go from oh, I was wearing a light fleece to I'm going to wear a heavy fleece and a windbreaker on top. It's yeah. it's about being able to adapt to your environment. Now, the British weather is lovely for that because you will get all sorts of four seasons in one day if you're unlucky. Um, yeah. And it's worth preparing for it. You may not want to lug it around, but you'll have an FOB. You'll have your car. You'll have there'll be times where you can literally sit back and go, I'm just going to run 10 minutes that way and get the appropriate kit that I need. It's it's not going to be one of those situations where you are completely barred from, you know, coming out of the immersion immediately. Because yeah. there will be times where you go, oh, there's been an accident there, I need to sort it out. Or, you know, mum's calling me. No, I'm kidding. That's not going to happen. But there will be situations where some kid's gone, mum's calling me. I have to like break the immersion for a sec. So it's yeah. worth, it's worth over preparing, but making sure that you can deal with the amount of kit you're taking because there's a balance between overdoing it and underdoing it. And most of the time people underdo it and it ruins their experience they they end up being hungry grumpy dehydrated their yeah. gun doesn't work they decide to leave and one of the worst things that someone can do when attending a milsim is leave because mm. these are all these are events that are organized to the extent where even their player count is something that has to be considered and if you 
if you happen to be one of 10 or 20 people that decide to leave halfway through a meal sim, it really does affect everyone else's experience. And it's something to be taken into understanding that if you're going to a meal sim, you're part of the experience for everyone else. You are technically an entertainment part of everyone else's adventure. And you need to try and understand that you are all a team. Even the opposing team is part of this whole, um, not adventure, but this whole experience that is a milsim. And if, even if one, two, three people decide they don't want to be a part of it, it can affect the overall experience for everyone else. And that needs to be understood. And that is part of the preparation yeah. for kid and stuff. Cool. Okay, that's just about wrapped it up nicely. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Arian. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can you can basically post, comment on the blog and I'll see it. Um, I'm pretty, pretty much active overall. Um, so if we post something, it's most probably me who's posted it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, generally email contact me if you go on the website and you look at the team page you'll find me you can find my personal links and stuff like that cool thank you very much uh as for me guys uh the usual facebook instagram under the chair softer show you'll find me there uh next week we'll be joined by phoenix feather airsoft so looking forward to that one arian thank you very much for your time again buddy and it's yeah, thank been you. great thank talking you very to much. you just guys see you next week bye